0: Hello everyone, it's me, Kendra Arsenault, Spectrum Magazine, SDA Kinship, along with yours truly, have come together to bring you a brand new podcast series called Imago Gay, where we bring you the latest on queer theology, studies, and a minority perspective on faith. As an Afro-Latina woman who is now openly queer, Black History Month is the perfect start to share marginalized stories. As David J. Johns, the executive director of the National Black Justice Coalition has said, as long as there have been Black people, there have been Black, LGBTQ, and same-gender loving people. Queer Black members of society have often been the marginalized among the marginalized. From Chicago's first Black female and lesbian mayor, Lori Lightfoot, to the gender-bending performer during the Harlem Renaissance, Gladys Bentley, to Martin Luther King Jr.'s key advisor, Bayard Rustin, all making history while battling the compounded forces of oppression. So in honor of those who gave their lives to pave the way for a better future, let's get curious and start reinvestigating the great biblical debate on homosexuality, piece by piece, and study the way it compounds oppression for the already marginalized among us. So I'm sitting here again today with spiritual care provider Roxanne, and I'm excited to get into these stories because today's episode is about the LGBTQ experience. I am more than excited as well. You're more excited than me?
1: I, I would argue that I am. <laughs> I'm
0: more than so.
1: <laughs> I, I think I think we often talk about what the LGBTQ experience should be, especially in conservative Christian communities. But
0: here's an opportunity to hear what it's actually like. One thing that I wanted to highlight in this podcast was the impact of our theology. I am a firm believer that experience and listening to the experience of others should be a part of the equation when we do theology and that people's experience under a specific structure or archetype that we've built about what the model Christian should be in their sexuality, right? That just to see, you know, what is somebody's experience under that structure? And I think until we start listening to voices, getting feedback, seeing how, Uh, we might negatively impact others. I think that's an opportunity to make correction. And the only way that we're going to learn to live humanely, compassionately, and filled with joy is when we start to learn to love and to validate other people. My invitation, I I guess, as a spiritual care provider,
1: from a spiritual angle, is to notice what happens within you. What, what, what is your experience when you hear the LGBTQ experience? Are you feeling triggered? Are you feeling empathetic? Do you feel understood? Do you feel angry? Because that says a lot about how you're interacting, not only with the content, but with the people who are telling those stories. I think that's a great invitation. And so... Let's get into it. Let's get into it. I'm excited.
0: Churches all over the world have been embroiled in deep debate over whether or not they should allow LGBTQ persons to become members of the church or serve in office as leaders. There has been a long-held controversy regarding the, quote, biblical view on homosexuality. Whether or not gay marriage is a sin, and whether or not the form we see it taking place today, two consensual adults joined together in loving matrimony, is indeed what the Bible writers had in mind all those years ago. Gay marriage is a relatively new social concept. One that was legalized in the U.S. only seven years ago.
2: This was back in the middle, late 1950s. I didn't know the difference between being transgender and being gay. And so I asked them, well, do you know what being gay or what a homosexual is? Because I had heard this term, but I had never heard the term transgender, and it may not have even been invented then.
0: This is Rhonda Dinwiddie. She is the first transgender Adventist elder from Hollywood, California, who served in the army during the Vietnam War. We'll hear her story on a later episode. But essentially this concept of LGBTQ is a relatively new self-identification. Something members of the queer community are just now accessing. Finally, language for self-identification.
2: So at that point was also the point where the term homosexuality or gay was being heard of more and more in, in the media with Anita Bryant and Stonewall Riots, and AIDS was starting this disease. So, yeah, there was a lot of talk, but there wasn't a lot of talk in the church that was really relevant to me.
0: This is Floyd. He's currently the president of SDA Kinship International, a haven for affirming LGBTQ members in Adventism. You'll be hearing more of his story in the weeks to come.
2: There was a gay Baptist church here in Dallas, and the pastor there was offering a a Bible study on the clobber texts. And so that was my first time where I actually sat down with people and studied. Before then, I had gotten Voice of Prophecy mail-in lessons, and they were saying the exact opposite of, you know, the the sins of homosexuality. And that stayed in my head forever. But then sitting down with other people and studying the text, I realized what i had always felt was the text weren't talking about my situation, my attraction, my loving someone else of the same same gender.
0: And it's crazy to me, you're saying like, we didn't really have a term for homosexual. Like to, to me, it's so prevalent in our culture now, right? Everybody knows what that word means. I can't imagine what it must have been like to to live in a world where you don't have a term for yourself, right? Or, or but, a way to self-identify. Words matter. The terms by which we label ourselves have a huge impact on our lives, what we believe possible for the future.
2: And as soon as that term came around, you actually learn to live that dual life. Before, I was a little kid, we really didn't know. But then when you realize that gay actually fit what I was feeling and experiencing, But yet the church was telling you that gay is bad, is wrong, and you're hearing it on the little bit of media that you have on TV. You start living this double life and and, and it's like there were two Floyds. There was a straight Mm -hmm. Floyd who was the exemplary Adventist and there was a gay Floyd trying to navigate, what does this all mean? And I I wanna be happy like everyone else, but I can't merge those two together.
0: So where did this term homosexual come from? Has it always been in the Bible? Homosexual was a term coined by Karl Maria Kurtney, who anonymously published, quote, paragraph 143 of the Prussian Penal Code. It was a pamphlet that advocated the repeal of Prussia's sodomy laws. In other words, this term was essentially first used in advocacy for LGBTQ equality.
2: Just like in the Bible, there wasn't really a word for homosexual orientation, as we know, not until 1946 when they put the word homosexual in incorrectly. Before they were talking about same-sex activities, but they were all something that we wouldn't even dream of doing, you know, same-sex rape or cult prostitution or, or sex with slaves or someone lower class than you are. I mean, that today is a whole different world. And I was still carrying all of that baggage, that understanding of what it meant to be gay until that point when I realized. and, And Jeff, my husband, probably helped me with that greatly in understanding that, you know, there is more to life and we are an equal couple with everyone else.
0: It first appeared in the Bible not even a century ago in 1946 as a chosen translation in the Revised Standard Version of the Bible. But in later correspondences between scholars and translators that debated whether or not homosexual was the appropriate term, they agreed that the word homosexual was not a correct translation. However, Luther Allen Weigel, the head of the RSV translation team, was under contract to not make any revisions for the next 10 years during which time the New American Standard Bible, the Living Bible, and the New International Version Bible were redoing their translations and referring to the RSV as the standard for why they included the term homosexual. Like I feel like homosexual is just not not an appropriate term. Like (laughs) I, I know we have all these other terms now like homoromantic and but like I wish we had a better word for these terms because it it really kind of distills a person down to just you sexually are attracted to this person and not just I mean, a relationship, a marriage with somebody is so much more than a sexual attraction, right? Like there's so many parts of like how you are relating, how are you communicating, how are you fitting these pieces together? And did, did, when you enter that relationship with Jeff, did you really see yourself as like, oh, I'm more than just a homosexual, like that this relationship fits me better and the way that we communicate in the styles, like did all of that come together?
2: Yeah. I mean, the pieces all came together and, and it does like in, in any relationship, you know, you, you, there are no assigned rules and, and duties and, and responsibilities in a relationship. It's less like, okay, I'll do this because that's more convenient for me to do. And you do that part. And, and, you know, sex plays a part in most relationships and it's an important part. It's it's not the end all be all of, of a relationship. So when you say homosexual, immediately people think about sex, and um, and I think that's that's something that we need to our message needs to help overcome uh, that. Yeah, we're all having everyone has sex, most everyone has sex, not everyone, but most most people have sex, and uh, that has nothing to do with with your orientation or who you're attracted to. Um, I don't, I don't want to think about what straight people do in their bedroom. Heterosexuals, uh, you know, that's, that's their thing. Uh, yeah. So taking out the trash, going shopping, going to church, whatever it is, is, is all in the mix. And you know, that you're doing that more hours of the day than you are the sexual part. So, so yeah. Yeah.
0: I think the term sometimes it oversimplifies what it means to be in relationship with other human beings.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think all the labels that we have, I mean, they're good for us because they're important. They help us figure out where we are in the big pie, the big puzzle, whatever. Uh, but I think we do a disservice to those looking into our lives with these labels because they just don't understand. And uh, you know, so you're bisexual. That means you also like guys. So why didn't you just choose and, and not even put women on the radar? And I think that's what a lot of people do because I think yeah. the bisexual population is huge, but we haven't realized it or allowed ourselves to even think about that possibility until maybe one day our relationship isn't working with the opposite gender. And all of a sudden that other starts sparking and, and we realize that that is there and it's always been there. We just yeah. maybe didn't acknowledge Foster
1: it. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: So, exactly. I, I, you, know, I, I, you know, I come from the old generation of um, when the term was gay and gay was everything under the sun or whatever. And then we started dividing it up. I still, you know, I prefer gay as the umbrella term, term for me. And I understand why other people don't necessarily, and then you know that's cool. But but gay doesn't have the word sex attached to it, or these other things that sometimes cause confusion or or whatever for for people.
0: The Bible is considered sacred text within Christian tradition, and thus it's held in very high regard. Tampering with the text or misrepresenting the meaning is often considered sacrilegious. For this reason, many people are deeply skeptical about making allowance for LGBTQ persons in the church for fear that their acceptance of LGBTQ people in membership or leadership would be against scripture and thus displeasing to God. The argument for or against inclusion is often framed as who does better exegesis But is that really all that it comes down to? As believers in a big God, we are not only accountable for closing the loops in our logic, but for understanding and rectifying the impact of our theology on LGBTQ lives.
3: I want to figure out where, I want to to be ordained. It's just really complicated. I don't know what I want to do for a career. And that's something that's been popping up for me a lot recently.
0: This is Paul Anthony Turner, a graduate of Andrews Seminary and currently studying to receive his doctors in philosophy.
3: What do doctors mm-hmm. in philosophy who don't go into academia, what do, what do we do? But you <laughs> so the saying, have...
0: Paul, you've always wanted to be a pastor, right? Yeah. Like, would you mm-hmm. would you still want to be a pastor?
3: Absolutely. Yeah, easily. So,
0: easily. so. I, I think, and I think this is what a lot of queer people feel, you know, yourself, I think Alicia Johnston talks about this in her book, you know, that she was on this path to be a pastor and she was pastoring. And to, to think that this one theological disagreement now bars you from what you spent your educational experience preparing for, right? If that opportunity came up and they were like, Paul, we want you to pastor this church and that's all you have to do. And we're going to pay you a million dollars a year. <laughs> Woo!
3: Take me now, Jesus. Yes. Like I'm ready to go now. Like, yeah. yes, <laughs> absolutely. I would. I wouldn't probably in a drop of a hat. I mean, obviously it would have to be the kind of situation where I'm not bucking up against a whole lot of prejudice and, you know, the people yeah. are willing to work with me, but absolutely. Yeah. That's, I would love to pastor people.
0: I'm in a place where I feel like I'm having to pull on my, secondary vocational skills right like i have a history with communications i understand you know graphic design and marketing and i can do those things and i feel like i'm having to really rely on that It's so it's interesting to me to hear you saying like i don't know what i want to do with my future and it's not that you don't know it's that what you want to do those avenues seem to have been closed is that would
3: that be accurate that's, that's very ac- that's accurate yeah mm-hmm. exactly the I mean because for, i would love to pastor in the denomination of my upbringing and i was raised adventist i want to continue to do that but yeah the the avenue has been effectively shut down to me but you know when when life closes the door the Lord will open a window so maybe there's a, a window open somewhere i can crawl through <laughs>
0: And it's more than just the economic and career impacts that this has on LGBTQ lives. Discrimination affects our mental health. When LGBTQ persons are rejected by their family or by their church, it causes grief. It causes real trauma. When it comes to your expertise in grief, how do I not take loss and things that happen to me that I would grieve over in a way that I build a theology about who God is. One of the fears that I have right now is that because things happen so publicly, are the other things that happen in my life going to be a confirmation of God's pleasure or displeasure? How well is this podcast going to do? Or things that make me feel like, did I fail? Are those going to be touch points that people look to and say, this is a sign of God's judgment, right? This is a sign of God's, that that God is in full agreement, you know, with crushing this person. (laughs) 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 Or... Conversely is true, right? Like, if I'm successful, if I do well, if I, if I am happy, then and live just a wonderful life, it just means
1: <laughs> it just means it's coming. Right, <laughs> There's no room
0: for <laughs> right, right, right. God um, will have His day with her. <laughs> yes,
1: <laughs> it's a matter of time. Right? Not yet, I see.
0: <laughs> you know, and and I think that it, that it, I think it's easy to kind of create those micro perspectives.
1: Yeah, can I just interrupt you? Because yeah. it makes me really, really sad. It actually reminds me of a trauma response mm. to be so afraid that by speaking your truth, that by having an open conversation, by, you know, welcoming even scrutiny because you feel like, hey, I can I can talk about this from an intellectual standpoint. I think you being rejected by your community and maybe suspecting that they wish you don't succeed in life. I think that some of those feelings of rejection and, and maybe not having a safe community to turn to is triggering something. So one grief touches all others. So that's like kind of something that we talk about. And that grief is not necessarily the loss of a person. There are many losses that can compound, and, and then we interact with our grief. It's an ongoing thing. And I know that experts are constantly trying to move away from this idea that we can move on from our grief, that we simply just move forward with our grief as a more gracious and kind way to say, hey, I am sad that this person or this thing or this idea that I walked around with for however long is no longer a part of me or a part of my experience in the ways that they used to be. And to live with that is far more compassionate than to try to shove it down and say it doesn't exist and how do I rebuild and move on as if, you know. So I heard you talk a little bit about The grief. But could you be more specific about what that grief looked like in your case? Right now, the way that I see it is that it is impacting your profession. It is impacting your livelihood. It's impacting your finances. It's impacting, I mean, every your relationships, every
0: aspect of your existence. Has been impacted 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that... And I think it's hard to talk about. I think I like to portray myself from a space of strength, mm-hmm. you know. Like I, I don't want anybody feeling sorry for me. I don't want anybody trying to come to my rescue. I, I think there's, I think I would feel a lot of, I think I feel a lot of shame. Mm-hmm. The ways that this has impacted me, that I don't want anybody to see or to clean up, that I would just rather deal with it in private and, you know, fix all of the the brokenness, sweep all the pieces, glue them back together, slowly piece my life back together and say, I don't want anything from you. I won't take it. It is hard for me to talk about all the ways that it's impacted me because I feel shame as though that's my failure. So yeah, it, it's yeah.
1: much easier to say
0: kids out there are losing
1: their homes. Kids out there um, are being kicked out. And
0: and how dare you? And <laughs> you should be ashamed of yourself than to be like, Oh, know, I was kicked out and I lost community or whatever. Yeah, I think, I think it's definitely a lot easier to, to champion someone else's cause than yours. Because also it sounds very self-righteous, right, to be like, I'm doing this, and this is what you did to me, and here's what I have to say about it. And I think also, like, I actually admire people who do that, right? I admire people who are willing to, to have their own voice about an issue and, and you know, uh, champion their own cause of injustice, right? Like, I, I, don't, I personally don't look down upon that. Um, so I don't know why I don't feel like I can or should or want to do that for myself.
1: Yeah, but it it shows your approach to having a conversation around it. And it's a great example of how many of us feel when approaching the subject.
0: None of us are perfect partners when walking with someone in their grief. 2020 hit us all hard and heavy. It's been a difficult time for many of us to rise above our own individual grief and meet someone else's. The bottom line is, theology doesn't just live in the abstract. It has practical implications. I know there's a lot of fear around the clobber text, Leviticus, Romans 1, 1 Corinthians. Fear that if we get this issue wrong, if we say, okay, same gender marriage is okay, if we allow LGBTQ members to serve in our church, we might be on the slippery slope to hell. I'm not here to invalidate anyone's fears. But we have to ask ourselves: if our current theology is hurting people, isn't it important to ask, is there a better way?
3: Part of the reason why I had gone through a lot of the shifts that I went through when I was in seminary was because I had started studying philosophy. And it it caused me to think very differently about the nature of truth, interpretation of texts. I was um talking to a friend of mine a few months ago, who's side B, non-affirming. And he's bi. And I was talking with him about why I'm affirming. And he was like, well, I don't want to become affirming because what if I'm wrong and I've done harm to someone? And I was like, well, what about the risk you're running of potentially being wrong and being side B and you're harming someone? He thought about the fact that you just told me that the thing that you're that's motivating your theology right now, it seems to be, at least in large part, based on fear, but God has not given us the spirit of fear. So how does that fact inform how you might go about thinking about this differently?
1: One of the things that I learned in seminary was that when you have the truth or when you feel very confident in the truth, you welcome kind of challenge because it either helps you be more specific um, or solidify your truth or it opens your eyes to a new truth. And so truth was not something to fear or to shy away from. And, you know, it's really interesting to me that opening a conversation was something that you were reprimanded for. Because honestly, especially in academic circles, it's like we're all seeking to learn more and to understand God in meaningful ways. for our theology to be sharpened. So I thought, oh, this is a really good opportunity to kind of tease out some of the complexities and to come to a conclusion, or at the very least, and I know you've talked about this before, have a journey, regardless of the destination, that it's more about who we are to each other and what we
0: learn along the way than the actual place we arrive to. And so with that, I hope you do join us for the journey and not just the destination. Imago Gay is a podcast where we explore queer questions and a colorful God. In addition to curious conversations, I'd love to receive questions and letters from you. Many of you have shared your own journey navigating relationships, church participation, queer theology. And so if you'd like, Send in your personal stories or curious questions, and you can do so at Kendra R. Snow with an X on Instagram or Facebook. You can also follow our sponsors, Spectrum Magazine and SDA Kinship, and be sure to sign up for their newsletters, where you will get the latest updates on queer news and happenings. This episode was created and engineered by yours truly, and sponsored by Spectrum Magazine and SDA Kinship International.